Hello and welcome. It's time for another edition of Around the Nest as we J-talk our way around the Toronto Blue Jays minor league. Let me open up this week with A. Advanced and Jim Tarabokia, the voice of the DJs. Jim, good afternoon. Hey, Jesse. How's it going, buddy? It's going very well. Let's talk about your DJs. I've got a lot of guys to discuss. But before I bring up these individual players, how was this past week for you in the FSL action? It was good. Um, you know, we, uh, we're starting to uh, really um, hit our stride here the last couple of days, especially. Um, we've got uh, double-digit hits in the last two games, which is a really good sign, and guys are really starting to turn it up. So, um, you know, things have been pretty good this past week. We're right in the middle of a, uh, a six – well, we're kind of on the tail end now, I guess, of a six-game homestand. So, um, you know, if we can finish off this homestand here at least five, I think, um, you know, we'll be in uh, in good shape hitting the road next week. Let's begin with Edward Pinto. I know you mentioned him earlier this year just in terms of, but his bat has been great recently. Yeah, it has. And, and you know, Pinto checking in through the night, I'm glad you mentioned him. Um, he's on a six-game hitting streak, uh, 11 for 21 during that streak. He had three hits, uh, two RBIs last night. And, you know, one thing, too, with Pinto, I know, unfortunately for you, you didn't get a chance to see him. Um, but I'm lucky enough to see him on a daily basis. This guy doesn't strike out. It's unbelievable. I mean, he has one strikeout every 19 at-bats. That's the best ratio in the league. Um, so he's been at the bottom of the order. He's been moved up to the number two spot. And he is a, a, a perfect number two hitter, in my opinion, because of the fact he doesn't strike out. He has a line drive type swing, goes the other way. He's not afraid to go the other way. So, um, and again, six game hitting streak. And he has so much life to him. You know, I mean, he's a guy who, you know, whenever his career is over, his baseball career is over, it will say age 45, right. To be safe. Um, you know, <laughs> geez, he's, he's going to do, he's going to be great in life. You know, cause he always has so much energy and he's a good leader too. So, um, you know, it's really fun. I'm glad you mentioned him. It's really fun to watch him play on a daily basis. Your last name, Tarabocchia, sounds Italian to me. Let me ask you about your Italian ball player, Alberto Mineo, who started off the year two for his first 15, eight for his last 21. Yeah, no, I, you know, I think with Mineo, too, there's one thing that people forget with him. Um, the pitching staff, with him catching, their ERA is 2.84. He's an excellent defensive catcher. He frames the baseball well. I think that's his biggest strength. I'm not taking anything away from him offensively, but I think his biggest strength is the fact that that um, he, first of all, he is hitting well right now. Um, he, had, he had started a couple of rallies for us last night, but I think his biggest strength is, is defense, and that's huge. Um, you know, if he can give a strength defensively and then you know give a blow to Riley, giving him a couple of days off, and when Riley can DH, that really helps our team. What a catching tandem you've got with Riley Adams, who's the Rule Five guy. Yeah, and you know, there's another guy too I want to mention, Jesse, um, and that's um, Taylor Salcedo who um, has given up just one run not earned in the last two starts. That comes out to 15 innings. He has been um, absolutely phenomenal. And um, I'm really happy for him because he works hard. Um, told me yesterday on the record that he uh, he actually lowered his arm slot a bit. And sometimes in baseball, you know, he went to Australia in the offseason and his arm slot got a little bit higher than um, where he wanted it to. And sometimes when you do this every single day, and it's the same thing with broadcasting, you know, um, you, you get into habits sometimes, and you, you, you get into verbal crutches. And sometimes, you know, you get into some habits in baseball when you hit every day, when you pitch, you know, and throw these bullpens. So he lowered his arm slot a little bit, and, 
you know, he's coming more downhill with that fastball, and he has been just uh, lights out here the last two starts. So I'm really happy to see that for him, and he's a guy who um, it's great to see again. Like, we relied on him every fifth day last year to be successful, and here we are again relying on him every fifth day to be successful. And like last year, we're expecting him to be successful um, because, uh, you know, that's what we need from him. And, and um, you know, with how well he's doing right now, we're just it's easy to expect that from him. Let me ask you about your bullpen. How good has Nick Hartman been recently? Hartman's been good. Johnny Cheshire has been good from extended spring. It kind of reminds me of Danny Young a little bit last year, chip on his shoulder. Not Probably not too happy starting. Uh, I don't know. I'm assuming here. I don't know this. Um, you know, <laughs> probably not happy starting in extended spring, but when he's gotten the opportunity to pitch here, he pitched three scoreless last night. I mean, he was our TD Bank player of the game, one of them on our broadcast. So, um, you know, I think Harmon's doing well, but Johnny Cheshire has really shined uh, in his bullpen role. The Dunedin Blue Jays are hosting Ford Myers today and tomorrow. Then they get a day off. And then after that, they go on a seven-game road trip before returning home to take on the Florida Fire Frogs on May 21st. And you can find them at Jim Tara. Jim Tara Bokia, the voice of the Dunedin Blue Jays. Thank you very much for your time. Hey, thank you, buddy. Have a good one. Hey, you've got it. Now let's move our way up the ladder. Let's go up to Double A, New Hampshire. Tyler Zickel, are you ready to talk about those other guys with your New Hampshire Fisher Cats? I am chomping at the bit, Jesse. It seems as though we've just become the Vlad Bowen cabin show over the first five weeks, and obviously with good reason, those guys getting almost all of the publicity, but certainly a number of other guys on the 25-man roster who deserve a couple tips of the cap. Let me start with Jordan Romano. Six consecutive, uh, six consecutive victories. What have you seen from the right-hander? Been fantastic, and in fact, he's going to go for his sixth win today. He's had six nice starts in a row. He's won each of his last five. He leads the league in opponent batting average. His opponents are batting just 154 against him, and he's not really overpowering these hitters, but he's locating his pitches, he's executing in the correct counts, and most importantly, he's getting ahead of a lot of guys. His walks have crept up with each start. That said, he still finds a way to throw strike one. You know what they say, get ahead, stay ahead. So we're looking forward to another vintage Jordan Romano start tonight here in Harrisburg, and if he gets the victory today, no Fisher Cat pitcher in franchise history has won six games to start a season so no one's gone six and oh so potential history on the line tonight here uh, on kitty island in the susquehanna river <laughs> romano out of the starting rotation zach jackson's numbers out of your bullpen have been astounding he's been very good and i i want to just temper some of that excitement about zach with the fact that He's come in in some late pressure situations and performed well. There were two relief outings that I think about, specifically one in Binghamton where he struggled late and ended up walking in the winning run with the bases loaded. So the ERA, not reflective of some of those recent struggles the same way. But if you look at the whole body of work, Zach has been a great addition to the Fisher Cats bullpen in his double-A debut this year. And he's got that very distinctive delivery. I think it has a lot of hitters off balance. And that curveball really is his best pitch, and he uses it in every count imaginable, whether it's a first-pitch curveball, he's behind 2-1, or, of course, when he's up in the count 1-2 and two or even 0-2, oh he's not afraid to bury that curveball in the dirt with Pat Cantwell and Max Pentecost behind the dish receiving those pitches. So despite some recent struggles out of the pen late for Jackson, he's responded nicely, including a couple of nice innings last night to preserve what was a small deficit that was erased by the Fisher Cats with a three-run top of the ninth inning, but Dak has been really great. The pride of Barry Hill, Oklahoma, doing his thing for the Cats. 
Let's talk about that game yesterday. And once again, the comeback Fisher Cats, even in the games that you lose, when you trail late, it doesn't matter. So I think of all of the losses this season, and after last night's 9-8 loss in 10 innings, that's 12 losses in 30 games for an 18-12 and 12 record. Ten of those 12 losses, Jesse, at least if my memory serves, the Fisher Cats have brought either the tying run or the go-ahead run to the plate in their last at-bat. The same was true last night. The Cats down to their final out. Who other than Kevin Biggio steps up? He got the night off after going 0 for 8 over the previous two games in the homestand against Portland. And the Fisher Cats had their first pinch hit home run since 2014 when Biggio swung at the very first pitch with a runner on and two outs and hit it directly to center field over the 400-foot marker and certainly quite the moment last night to tie the game 8-8 with a three-run ninth inning. Didn't go the Fisher Cats' way in the bottom of the 10th, thanks in part to uh, the brand-new rule that everybody loves when it goes for them, but hates when it goes against them. But again, really a testament to the resiliency of this team. And 17 hits last night for the Cats was also a season high. Could you smell a home run? When Kevin Biggio was sent out of the dugout, were you thinking to yourself, here we go? There was definitely a little bit of juice flowing up here in the booth, and I looked down in that third-base dugout as Biggio was coming up to the plate, and everybody was on the railing. Kevin, who had struggled, as I mentioned, in those last two games against Portland, got the night off because manager John Schneider, he's the mayor of Fieldtown, in my opinion, and uh, others on this conversation could certainly attest to that. But you see Biggio walking to the plate, and you you think he's always able to do something, whether it's going to be drive the ball into the gap or work a walk to potentially put the tying run on base, but wouldn't you know it, first pitch swinging and I was actually fooled by the center fielder who camped out underneath the 400 foot sign in dead center field and it seemed as though that ball might might not get out but it just got its way over the yellow line so my call the same way wasn't as uh, dramatic if you will because we had to wait for a late umpire call and the center fielder certainly did a nice job of acting as if he was going to make the catch but as Biggio walked to the plate I was feeling very good for the Cats I mean how could you feel bad when you got a guy like Kevin Biggio, one of the league's top sluggers, coming up in a pressure-packed situation with the game on the line? Harold Ramirez, in six out of the last eight games, he has had at least two hits. You're the road broadcaster from MC on the field. On the road, he's batting 357. How about Harold Ramirez? Jesse, he really has come into his own this year in what is his third fit in AA. As you know, he came over in that trade with Pittsburgh that brought Reese McGuire over as well in 2016. There were some injuries that hampered Harold's season that, that season when he came over from the Pirates. But last year, I think, a learning year, and I do think he was pressing, but now as he's uh, really grown into himself this year in 2018, he has been an, a monster over the last two weeks. I mean, you look at those 10 five-game splits, and Ramirez batting 432 over his last 10 games, thanks in part, as you mentioned, to those multiple multi-hit efforts, including his first three-hit game of the season last night. So Ramirez got his first cleanup spot start last night, courtesy of manager John Schneider, and he certainly made the skipper look smart for doing that. So I've got to check the lineup for tonight. And Ramirez, while not batting fourth, that honor is going to Kevin Biggio. Harold's going to bat sixth after Biggio, then Max Pentecost. So certainly a murderer's row for the Fisher Cats between Bichette, Guerrero Jr., Biggio, Pentecost, and Ramirez in the lineup tonight. Well, on the road at Harrisburg, where I remember seeing the late 90s, Vladimir Guerrero, the first playing for the Harrisburg Senators, the second town they're on the road through the 16th and they're back home in new hampshire starting up the 17th and that starts up a gorgeous four-day five-game series against those binghamton rumble ponies you guys play all the time tyler zickel with new hampshire thank you very much 
Jesse, thanks as always. A pleasure to join you on Around the Nest. Cheers to the Friday. And also, if I can quickly plug the Fisher Cats Twitter, there was media availability for Vlad Jr. earlier today, and they did it right next to the life-size bobblehead of his dad. Head over to at Fisher Cats on Twitter to check out the picture of Vlad Jr. and Vlad Sr. Uh, quite the treat. Nice little addition to FNB Field's various things they offer. Now let's go up the ladder. Let's promote ourselves to AAA and the voice of the herd. Great, Jesse. We're here in Lehigh Valley as the Bisons and our pigs are getting set for game two of their series. Unfortunately, the herd couldn't get the win last night, but there were some good things like Rowdy Telez hitting his first homer of the season. So plenty to be uh, looking forward to here tonight. Going around the nest as we're Jay talking about all those players who we haven't talked all that much about through the first four weeks of the year. Rowdy Telez had a great all-around yesterday. What did you see? Yeah, he's a guy who has been in his second year here at AAA. I mean, let's not share it, he struggled a little bit um, at the plate uh, with hitting for power. It's something that he did a little bit last year in spurts, and this year it just hasn't been there yet. But yesterday I think he really saw the ball well. Uh, A guy like Tom Eshelman, who was not very good in command of his stuff, um, he was able to take advantage of. One thing that I think year two for Rowdy, the scouting report is throw him a lot of off-speed stuff especially the change-up. It's something that um, my broadcast partner, Duke McGuire, had noticed quite a bit. And with that, Rowdy has le- had to learn to adjust, and it's taken a while. He's had to learn how to adjust to those off-speed pitches that have given him fits. So I think yesterday was a good first step, and I'll be looking forward to seeing tonight he's back in the lineup, and if that means good things for his confidence at the plate. How about your catching duo of Reese McGuire and Danny Jansen? Yeah, they've pretty much gone two days on, two days off. Um, for the most part this season, they've been very good behind the plate. Danny Jansen continued not only behind the plate, but at at the plate as a batter, has continued his all-around play from last season. But the thing that keeps being stressed to me all the time, not only by the coaching staff, but by the pitchers, is how much those two prepare prior to ball games off the field and to get themselves ready um, to be behind the plate. There are a lot of uh, people on this pitching staff, pretty much everyone you talk to, say that Danny Jansen can call a game at the major league level at this point. He has worked himself to the point where he could be in the big leagues and could be behind the plate without issue um, because he prepares himself so well and how seriously and how intensely he takes a ball game. He, he takes it upon himself when Ryan Barecki has a bad start um, and Barecki gives up a handful of earned runs. Danny feels like he let Ryan down with some of his pitch selection in the, in the, in the uh, signals that he gave him from behind the plate. So I think all that combined, and Reese the same way, he's very cerebral and, and very takes everything into account before the ball game. And we've seen that um, in the performance of this pitching staff because, you know, you, you talk about guys that we may not have talked about this season. I think of a guy like Sam Gavilio who just was promoted to the big leagues earlier today. He's gone out. He's been outstanding for the Bisons this year. Uh, a guy that was traded for midway through spring training, didn't really know what, uh, the Bisons were necessarily getting or the Blue Jays getting in the right-handed pitcher, but he has performed well, hasn't gotten a win yet this season. But I think some of the credit belongs to uh, the guys behind the plate in working with Gavilio and w- with his stuff as a contact pitcher, knowing what works well, and it translated in a promotion to the big leagues. There's another pitcher on your staff. I just was hanging out with Danny Jansen's parents in Appleton, Wisconsin. They came out here on Lansing Lugna, and they told me he has the utmost of respect for Chris Rowley. What have you observed with Chris? 
Yeah, Chris is a great story, and it's been well chronicled over the last season. Uh, he's the first person from um, West Point in, in Army to make it to the big leagues, having graduated from West Point, pitched in the big leagues last year. He's a guy that another guy has to pitch to contact. That's something that this, these catchers have had to work with. Uh, sure, the Bisons have some guys that can rush it up their mid to upper 90s, but Raleigh's fastball is 88-89, uh, a guy reminiscent of Dan Heron. So he knows what he has on the mound. He knows what will work. And he's a guy that takes his, his job very seriously. And uh, I think even talking to Chris, last year there were not many expectations. I don't think many in the organization exactly knew what uh, they were going to get out of Chris Rowley uh, going into the season. And if he could continue ascending up the organizational ladder, he did in the tune of making it to the big leagues, picking up a couple of wins uh, with the Blue Jays last season. This year there are expectations, and Rowley welcomes that opportunity. It's something that he takes very seriously, and it's something that he definitely relishes in, in the fact that there are things expected of him this year, and he wants to show the organization uh, that they've invested in him and bringing him back here this year. Uh, He hopes that he can be rewarded and that he can reward them uh, for taking that chance on him again. They're in the midst of a seven-game road trip at Lehigh Valley, and that's followed by a trip at Pawtucket, back home to Coca-Cola Field, starting on May the 18th, a Friday against Grand Wilkes-Barre. Pat, you can find him on Twitter at PatWGR. Thank you very much for your time, Pat. Thanks, Jesse. Have a good weekend. You've got it. Well, we've gone around Triple A Buffalo, Double A New Hampshire, A Advanced Needham. With regard to Lansing, this is Jesse Goldberg Strassler, joined by the Lansing Lugnuts, Kevin Smith. Kevin, what brought you to the University of Maryland? I love the coaching staff. Uh, when I went down there for a camp, I got a little tour, and I really just fell in love with the area. Uh, the campus is awesome. The guys were great. So, um, pretty much all the factors. I get asked that question a lot, but it was a lot of things that went into that decision. How was your experience there? It was great. I met a lot of good guys, still close with a lot of them. So, you know, the relationships were really cool. We ended up, you know, winning the regional, going to another regional. So, we had some success. I'm excited to see what they do from here on out. As a ball player, from your high school years through your college years, how did you develop? A lot of defensive work. I knew I wanted to stay, you know, playing the infield, playing on the left side. So, I um, put a lot of pride in that. And just working every day, you know, getting reps and, and working with my, my travel coach. And then obviously with Coach Sheff and Coach Swope and Vaughn at, at Maryland. So it's really just trying to do everything, trying to be a complete ball player. What's the key to being a good defensive player? I think the pre-pitch is the biggest thing. You know, when you get out of whack, you sort of notice you're not on time for pitches. Similar to hitting, you're just not, your timing's off. So just trying to be ready for every pitch and expecting the ball to come to you and, and knowing where you're going to go with each ball before it's hit. Do you like knowing what the pitcher is going to throw? Yeah, for sure. That's a huge thing that we look for. I like to know the signs that the catchers give, and especially if you got on second. Um, you know, if you know a curveball's coming or off speed, you can kind of cheat one way or the other, depending on the hitter, scouting report, what you know he did last time, stuff like that. So anticipation definitely plays a huge role, especially at third and short when you're so close. How much do you study the hitter's tendencies? A lot. I mean, it's, it's usually a game-to-game basis. Um, you know, hitters can feel different depending on the game. They'll have some seasonal... You know tendencies, but most of the time it's just based on what he did last at bat. Because you know new pitchers out there, new arm slot, he might be seeing it, he might not be. So it's really in-game adjustments that they really you know praise here and that they want us to work on. Is there a play that challenges you the most, whether coming in, going out to your left, to your right? 
I would say like the charging backhand, like a slow roller to the backhand side. You just don't work on them a lot. Um, I've been throwing them a lot more in my pregame routines, just trying to get better at those. But, you know, they're definitely the plays that when you make them, you know, everyone loves you and the pitchers love you. So just trying to pick up the pitchers as much as you can. They've been doing great for us. I was talking to Mike Mordecai, and he told me about the rhythm of every ground ball with the batter running up the line with you. What does that rhythm mean to you? Yeah, we talk a lot about, you know, the speed of the ball, speed of the runner. Um, you know, obviously the faster the runner, the quicker your tempo has to be. Uh, but then also the ball. So if the ball's hit quicker, you have a little more time. So it's really just prioritizing the throw or the catch. If it's a tough catch, you know, I'll put a little more priority on that. Uh, if it's one of the routine ground balls, maybe put a little more priority on the throw. So that all just comes with, you know, repetitions. And as you get through the season, learning these guys and, and you play them a few more times, you kind of get to know their tendencies, if they're fast, if they're slow you know, what balls to get out of the box quicker on. So all that stuff, you know, every ground ball is not the same. How did you find a glove that worked for you? Yeah, that's, we, we change gloves a lot. I'm not one of the guys that likes to change it. I've been using the same one since my sophomore year in high school. Um, I had a change in college because we went to Rawlings. But um, once I break my glove in, I kind of like to keep it for a few years until it kind of goes out. But I've been using the same one or two gloves for about six or seven years now. What's the best way to break in a glove? I just play catch with it, um, you know, keep a softball in there when I'm not using it, tie it up. But um, I don't have any crazy methods. I just like playing catch and kind of breaking it myself. How many gloves do you have right now? Right now I'm breaking in two. Um, and I have my gamer from last year. So three gloves, only use one right now. Um, but once I break in my new gamer, that'll be my gamer for a while. Joined by the Lugnuts, Kevin Smith. The scattering report I got about you said, watch out for your base running. How did you become such a good base runner? Back in Maryland, we did a lot of base running practice with Coach Chef. He thought it could win or lose ball games. Um, we wanted to steal bags, put pressure on the defense. So um, it's just always been a priority, and we've practiced it a lot, got a lot of reps with it. But the biggest thing is probably just taking live reads during BP, um, how the ball is coming off, how's it playing, you know, the field, um, if it's carrying the right center, left center, where the outfielders are. So it's a lot like fielding where you got to anticipate, you know, know who's up, you know, know the count, try to get a peek at the signs if you can. Um, and just kind of anticipate where the ball is going and knowing what you're going to do. You reach first base. What are the keys to stealing second? Knowing the time, know if you can get it or not. It's probably the biggest thing. What the pitcher's doing is he sidestepping, what his moves like. Um, and then just getting a good pitch, trying to run on a curveball, trying to run a good count. Um, not trying to run when you know your guy you know, is feeling good at the plate. Um, but probably just getting the right pitch and getting the right jump. Um, again, just all anticipation stuff that you can kind of figure out by watching the game. Let's talk offense now. How has your swing evolved? It's evolved a lot. I mean, I'm always trying to get better, always trying to work on it. I mean, every level of the pitching gets better. So just trying to make it quick and efficient, you know, not a lot of wasted movement, trying to make my movements a lot more simple. Um, you know, I think approach is a huge thing. Um, trying to get away from the mechanics, trying to keep it nice and simple. So, you, I mean, with all these games, you got to be consistent. So, trying to keep it as consistent as possible is probably the, the one key right now. But um, it's evolved a lot. I mean, you learn different stuff every day. Everyone has their own input on hitting and, and what the philosophies are and how you hit. So, it's cool to kind of take it all in and sort it out and find out what works for you. When you're facing a pitcher, let's say you've never faced him before, what do you want to know about him? His out pitch, probably, um, you know, what he wants to go to, because in tough situations, it's probably the pitch he's going to rely on. Um, is he quick to the plate? Does he change his tempo up? Um, and then velocity. I'm not a huge, I don't like 
studying him too much. Um, I'm a big believer that if you go up there and compete and that you know that you're better than him, it's better than knowing all the stuff about him, worrying about all this other stuff. So just going up there, trying to get a good pitch and just trusting your preparation. Did you have any idea that the Blue Jays were going to be the team to take you? No, I did not. I was talking to a lot of teams, um, and it really came down to the pick. We we weren't we weren't too sure of who it was going to be um, until right about the time that it happened. So it was an exciting day, um, and I'm real happy to be here. Did you celebrate afterward? Yeah, I think my family celebrated more than I did. Uh, I just wanted to get down to Dunedin and start <laughs> playing. But uh, it was a dream come true. It was cool to kind of share with my family. Uh, it definitely did. I'll never forget. Did anybody give you advice saying, here's what to expect the minor leagues is going to be like? Yeah, I was lucky enough to play with a lot of guys through high school and, and in college that got drafted. Um, they were in the league before I was. So I got a lot of, of texts and calls and conversations about what minor league baseball was like. Um, and more so right now with my first full season, um, with last year just kind of being two months of it. So really just trying to you know work on my routine, get my routine down, asking guys what they do you know, to stay fresh and how to you know, control yourself through this whole season. So it's been a lot of fun talking to different guys and kind of getting different routines. Was there something that a guy said when you asked him about his routine that it really stuck with you, it was really good advice? You know, I talked to a lot of guys that said the same thing about just making sure it's consistent and that you can do it every day, not, not doing one thing on the road, one thing at home, changing it up, um, and really just trying to keep it as simple as possible. So if you're feeling good and you go through halfway through your routine, you know, kind of going a little quicker through it, and then saying, you know, I feel good instead of wasting another hour or so doing stuff that you don't really have to do. With the Lugnuts, Kevin Smith, what did you want to get out of your offseason? I wanted to get a little quicker. Um, I didn't want to put on too much weight. I really wanted to just kind of get more explosive with, with my movements, get more efficient with all my mechanics. So I felt really good about it. Work with the strength guys here a lot. They helped me, you know, get my body in better positions and be more efficient with some of my movements. So um, looking forward to seeing how it plays the rest of the year. What was your first spring training camp like? It was great. Met a lot of great people. Um, it was fun. It was. It, it went by quick. The days were long, but you looked up and it was already ready to go. So um, we had a lot of fun. It was cool kind of getting to know a lot of the staff and a lot of the guys you didn't know before. Um, but we were excited to come up here to Lansing. Was there anybody with the Blue Jays who you were excited to meet who was, it was really fun to get to know them? I would say just all the infield guys and kind of picking their brain, you know, getting getting down there and, and meeting guys like Vladdy and Bo and asking them, you know, what they do. Um, and it's cool kind of getting different responses and different thought processes. Um, you know, that was a lot of fun. Talked to Donaldson a little bit. Um, but really just everybody down there. It was kind of like a culture shock with, with all the Latins coming and getting to know them and trying to speak Spanish and, and stuff like that. So it's a lot of fun just getting to know all these guys that have all these different mindsets. And lastly, what is it like to be a part of this lineup? You guys at the top of the Midwest League and run scored all these different categories. How is it to be a part of this offense? It's great. I mean... When we were down in, in spring training, we kind of figured out this was going to be our group, and we were real excited about it. A lot of us are really close. We knew each other from before. Obviously, me and Noda, I think, are the only two that weren't on the team last year. So it was really just us kind of coming into a team from Vancouver that, that killed it last year. And, um, you know, just trying to do whatever we can for the team. I mean, we got a lot of guys getting on base right now, and we're just trying to drive them in and score runs for our pitchers. Kevin, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been Around the Nest. Big thanks to Bluebird Banter. My partner, the minor leaguer, putting us up, allowing you to ask questions right to us. Check things out as the minor leaguer has put together his map so that way you can figure out your travels 
so that way you can go support the Blue Jays on the road and all of the different affiliates wherever we might be. He's got it all situated. This has been Around the Nest, Jay talking our way around the Toronto Blue Jays organization.